Good morning again. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. How many of you are eating this afternoon? How many are eating tomorrow? Well, you're probably eating at some point, but I'm celebrating Thanksgiving. <laughs> We're going to try to do a little bit both days. We're not exactly sure what's happening, but we definitely got a big family thing uh, this afternoon, and then we'll do something fun tomorrow. Now, for any sports fans in the room this morning, we're just going to commiserate over our broken hearts together with the Word of God. And for those of you who aren't sports fans, the Blue Jays lost. <laughs> eight one. It was like eight one. It was so cool. Okay. Anyway, I'm over it. <laughs> next year. It's next year. <laughs> All right, we are in part four of our series that we have called Jesus, the Disciple Maker. And what we want to focus on this fall is we want to set our targets. We want to, as a church family, we want to be a place where somebody who's far from God can actually discover a relationship with Jesus. They can say yes to making Jesus their Lord and Savior if they've never done that. But then if you've done that, and we've done that, as followers of Jesus, we want to be disciples. Jesus didn't call us to be Christians in name only. He didn't call us to just say yes to him and then wait till he returns one day or just wait till we die, that he actually has a plan for our lives. And this plan is called discipleship. And it means to be a lifelong learner, to be transformed into the image of Jesus. In week one, we read in Romans 8, that this is what God has predestined all believers to do, to move to the image of Jesus, to be transformed, to be sanctified. Sanctified just means set apart for the purposes of God. And so we want to focus on that this fall as a church family, to, to grow and have strong faith in God, uh, to be not easily you know, got off the road of, of, of discipleship, got off of our Christianity because of things that happen in culture or something that happens in life, that we can be strong followers of Jesus. Because I really, truly believe this is what the world needs us to be right now, to be strong followers of Jesus. So we um, want to set ourselves. We want to be intentional. We want to take some notes this fall. We want to lean into what God will be saying to us. We want to be involved in the things of God so that we can be growing. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says, this is called the great commission, co-mission, that our mission as a church is the mission that God had. And God's mission is people. God's mission is people having a relationship with himself. Matthew 28, verse 19 says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so for us to make disciples, we have to be one. We ourselves have to be followers of Jesus and not just um, want someone else to say yes to Jesus, but then we need to be disciples ourselves, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that was one of our announcements coming up in November. We have a baptism service and baptism is all about you going public with your faith, you testifying that you have said yes to Jesus through water baptism. So if you have never done that as an adult, we would love to partner with you in that. You know, your, your parents might have baptized you as a child or done some sort of thing like that with you as a child. Thank God for that. Thank God for their dedication to bring you up in the Christian faith. But when we get baptized, what we want to do is we want to make a public declaration. We want to say, I follow Jesus. And that's what baptism is all about. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you have never done that, you can sign up for that at the info booth and we will baptize you next month. And then verse 20, he continues. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
So having this experience where we say yes to Jesus, but then following the commands, following the teachings of Jesus. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So following the the teachings of Jesus is what discipleship is. It is growing in the things of God. In other words, if I'm growing, I'm not staying the same. I'm not gonna be the same person this year as I was last year because I'm moving to the image of Jesus. I'm not stagnating in my faith and in my life, that I'm growing all of the time, that I'm changing all of the time, that I'm being transformed all of the time by the word of God and by the spirit of God. So as we've been saying, we have opportunities this fall for you to grow to come to church and hear preaching and and to be a part of a group so that you can grow in your relationships and have times of worship. And we we kicked off um, some groups last week. We got some other groups that are starting this week. We kicked off City School last Wednesday and that was a great success. So we have all of these opportunities for you to get into relationship, to hear some teaching, to be a part of worship, to be a part of giving and generosity. All of these things will help you to grow up in your faith in God. So as we've been mentioning some characteristics of of discipleship is discipline. For us to be a disciple, we have to incorporate some discipline. And really discipline just means good, healthy habits. Do you have any good, healthy habits in your life? <laughs> so we're like, uh, it's Thanksgiving, Pastor Brennan. I don't want to talk about healthy habits. We're going to eat a lot of food today. <laughs> Having a life that follows Jesus closely is all about creating good, healthy habits in every area of our life. And good, healthy growth in God is good for me spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. When I find and incorporate good disciplines in my life, I will be a healthy individual. Godly growth is a move towards health. Godly growth A move towards Jesus is a move towards the exceptional. I love this phrase. As we follow Jesus, it's not more and more about about how mediocre I can be or how can I just get along and how can I just survive? No, that's not what following Jesus is. Following Jesus is a move to the exceptional, a move to change. So we're not just going after information this fall, even though we're gonna hear a lot of information that we want to be transformed. And maturity is all about having persistence. It's all about having godly strength. It's all about having a deep wellspring of joy, the calm of godly wisdom, abiding peace, a bunch of things that we sang about this morning. And then godly growth has a purpose. And one of those big purposes is for me to be unselfish. The more selfish you are, the less like Christ you are. But the more unselfish we become, it is a move towards Jesus. So we want to see Jesus, not just as our savior, yes, thank God for that, but as our rabbi, our teacher, our life mentor, that we would follow after him and learn from him. So, so far in this series, we we talked about being formed in the context of family. And this is so important that we are formed by the Father God. We're gonna read that verse here in a second. And then emphasizing the word of God, that God has house rules for his family, that we should esteem the words of God. And then last week, we talked about loving one another and how important that is. Isaiah 64 verse eight says this, Yet you, O Lord, are our father. We are the clay. We, you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. In other words, God is shaping us. That we should be 
malleable or changeable. That we are this clay piece that God is forming. God, our father. And you might've had a bad experience with your natural father, but God is the perfect loving heavenly father. That God, the creator God, the savior God wants the best for you and knows the best for you. And so we should want him to be shaping us because the reality is that we are being shaped. We are clay. And if we're not allowing God to shape us, something else is shaping us. Culture could be shaping us. People's attitudes, people's opinions could be shaping us. But God actually wants to form us. Psalm 1 verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So we're not, we don't want to be shaped by the counsel of the wicked or the way of the sinners, or the seed of the scoffers, or the critics, that we actually want to be shaped by the word of God. So last week, we focused on loving people. And then the first part of that verse that we, we read about Jesus interpreting the whole Old Covenant or the Old Testament, they ended up talking about loving our neighbor as ourselves. But the first part talked about loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And this is what we're going to be focusing on today, about being devoted to God, about having a whole heart of devotion towards God. And so we want to ask ourselves, we want to examine ourselves a little bit today. How devoted am I to God? Can I, the scripture tells us to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. How, as it relates to my time, how devoted to God am I if I were to look at and examine my time and my attention? We had a whole series about that at the end of the summer. My thoughts, my actions, my resources, my words. Does God get all of my leftovers? Or does God get the deserved part of my devotion, the first part? Now, as we read and, and we talked about last week, as we love God and give him all of our attention, we will successfully love people. But this devotion piece, this uh, is so important as it relates to the rest of our lives. Because if we devote our lives to God, we will then properly prioritize everything else in our lives. But if we prioritize everything else and then, oh, here, God, here's the leftovers. Here's my leftover time. Here's my uh, leftover openness to be shaped by you. I know, I know you say this, but the world says this. And so, I, I don't know, that's old fashioned, that's outdated. So I'm just gonna go with this. I, I'm gonna give to you, God, sometime after I do all of these other things, after I buy all of these things for myself and for my family, and then what's ever left over, I, I'll give something to you. No, the principle of tithing and giving is actually the reverse of that, that we're honoring God first. We're worshiping God with our tithes and offerings. That's what a tithe is. It's the first part. And what we're saying is that we're honoring God. We're worshiping God. We're not giving God our leftovers. If we go back to the Cain and Abel story, the, one of the first stories in the scripture, we see this principle to be true. We don't want to give God our leftovers. We want to give God our whole heart, our proper devotion. Am I wholehearted towards God or am I half-hearted? The scripture tells us that we're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. 
that the world doesn't have my heart, that God does. And so what I, if I'm half-hearted, I'm sort of adding my relationship to God to all my other things, sort of a pantheistic approach. Pantheism just means multiple gods. So this is important, this is important, this is important, this is important, and then I'm gonna add Jesus to that. No, Jesus, God, my Father, should be the first thing. And then from that first thing, it helps me prioritize and to be strengthened and to be inspired to do all of the other things in my life. In the scripture, we see this over and over again, that God likens our relationship with himself to a marriage. And then he says things like this, you adulterous generation, or he would call Israel an an adulterous nation. The whole book of Hosea is a story about the nation of Israel. I can't think of a better way to say this in the moment, but whoring after other gods, committing adultery against God. In other words, that God doesn't have that first place in our heart. Now, if we were to think of it in marriage terms, I don't, I, I, I know for sure that Nicole would not want me to have a girlfriend that's not her. Nicole is my girlfriend and my wife. Can I get an amen from any wives in the room? <laughs> Why? What's the problem with it? Why can't we just, ha- why can't I just have another girlfriend? What's the problem? Did you feel it? There's a problem with it, right? It's like not right. It's, it's not, it's the wrong priority. It's like, no, 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 what's the big deal? I, I could do this and I could do this and I could do, no, that's not a successful marriage, right? And this is the way God is talking about us and our heart. If we have everything else as the first relationship, everything else gets my resources first and everything else gets my time and attention and my heart first. God is calling that adultery. So what we want to do, we want to have God at the center of our, of our heart. Jesus speaks about this as it relates to the kingdom of God. Let's read it here in Matthew chapter 13. Verse 44, it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, whom, uh, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, Actually, before, I just want to make mention of my wife real quick because of how awesome she is, because she's my girlfriend and my wife. <laughs> that you haven't seen her for the last little while because she's been um, in, in City Kids. We, we have a bunch of new team members in City Kids and we opened up, we're getting, we're planning to open up. So we're kind of doing a soft launch and second service. So Nicole actually used to uh, be over our City Kids ministry for about a five-year period. So we sent the old pro, not old, but she's an old pro, like she used to do it a lot. And so we sent her in there to help some train up some new volunteers. So you haven't uh, seen her for a while because she's still around. She's just on the front row. She's just in kids ministry, serving your kids. How good a wife is that? <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> so here Jesus is talking about the value of the kingdom of God. 
bury something in the field and I'm gonna go sell everything I have and I'm gonna buy this field. And then the pearl of a great price. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God to this notion. That in comparison to everything else, my love and my devotion to God is exceptional. It's high. What is the temperature of my commitment to God? We know if you've grown up in church, we know the famous words from the book of Revelation. It says, I want you to be hot or cold. I don't want you to be lukewarm. Because why? It spits you out. And I love the both. Be hot or cold. Don't play pretend. I would just rather you say I'm out. I want you to have a fervor for me or just walk away, but don't play this middle ground where you're adding me to everything else in your life. This mediocre place, God doesn't deserve a mediocre place. He deserves honesty. God, I am intense for you. My devotion for you is hot. What does he want? He wants it to be hot or cold. I don't want it to be a middle ground. There's no middle ground with God. Our devotion to God shouldn't be like an add-on to our lives. It should be the centrality of our lives. He wants our whole heart. The kingdom of God is this place of God's rule, this realm where God wants to be in charge. And I've said this many times, the place that God wants to rule is not over lands. He wants to rule over human hearts. This is what he's after. He's after your heart, the affection of your heart, the center of your heart. And the, the type of kingdom God's, God runs is one where we willingly submit, where we willingly, willingly yield to him. God's kingdom is not a place of coercion, of force. We're gonna like force you to say Romans 10, 9, and 10 to get you saved. And then we're gonna force you to get baptized. No, it's no good. God is looking for willing hearts. I know somebody, and I, th- I think they had good intentions that they were trying to trick one of their loved ones to getting saved. So they sent them a, a letter and they wrote in Romans 10, 9, and 10. They said, read this out loud. Listen, we're not going to trick anybody to get saved. People have to willingly come. This is how the kingdom of God is. I want you to be hot or cold. I want you to choose me. So we're submitting ourselves. We are going to yield ourselves. Listen, doesn't that make you love God more? Because of who he is and he's not forcing us. He's inviting us that we would yield and willingly submit to ourselves. And in that place of God's rule, this is a, a popular phrase, but it really fits here, that we are actually the best version of ourselves when we are ruled by God. When we are fully shaped and submitted to God, the best version 
of ourselves. The, the world will tell us that you need to have full self-expression and full self-actualization. In other words, it's all about you. But this is the problem. Because you and I, we have a sin problem. And our sin will take us in all of these directions and our, and our desires will take us in all of these directions. And those things can rule over us. And if I just want to express those things, your best self is gonna show up through submission to God, yielded to him. Matthew 16, verse 24 says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. For what, it, or what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What did Jesus tell us here? Take up the cross and follow me. Now, people take this phrase and and turn it into something that it doesn't mean, you know, if that you're going through a difficult time or a struggle, you're facing sickness and disease or some sort of evil thing and people say, well, I guess this is my cross to bear. That is not your cross to bear. We're supposed to resist evil, right? What, is, what, did, what did Jesus do on the cross? Jesus willingly went to the cross. He sacrificed himself. So the cross is a place of sacrifice, take up your cross, Jesus said, and follow me. So the sacrifice is I'm not following myself. But I'm really smart. Aren't you smart? Aren't you educated? Don't you have some sort of education? Come on now, you're here this morning. We're smart, we're smart people. We can figure stuff out. Now Jesus said, take up the cross. And follow me, I'm going to willingly sacrifice. And then in that place of sacrifice and yielding, I'm actually finding my life as it was designed. In this place of being guided by the loving heavenly father who's shaping me, who wants the best for me. See, if I think I'm just gonna be stubborn and I'm gonna do my own thing and nobody can tell me what to do. And we all have that inclination at some point in our lives. But the older we get, I feel like the older you get, the more you realize you don't know. And then to have the guidance of God is better than just trusting in me. Take up your cross. Follow me, Jesus said. Luke 14 Verse 25 says this, now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wait a minute, Jesus, wait a minute. Jesus, what are you talking about? My whole sermon last week is ruined. We're supposed to love each other. What is Jesus saying here in this big crowd? 
Verse 27, and who does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who will see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So what is Jesus talking about when he were, we're supposed to be hating our family? What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying here that we are supposed to love God so much that by comparison, the love that we have for our family seems like hate. That we are supposed to be so devoted to God that he's so high above everything else in my life that the love that I have for my family seems like hate. So Jesus, he's using a device here, a literary device. You're not actually supposed to hate your spouse. He's just saying, by comparison, we just need to love God so much. And we're gonna, we gotta count this cost. We can't just love everything else and love this and love that and love this idea and love this thing and love this. Like, uh, and then I'll love God too because I'm into hell avoidance. <laughs> this, this is a high commitment Jesus is asking for, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. And he's like, hey, there's a big crowd here. This is what I'm going to say to this big crowd. You're supposed to love God more than anything. Or anyone. Galatians 2, 19 says this, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, which is every day, all the time, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So here we have some more light for us. The life that I'm living, I, I'm crucified with Christ. So the life that I'm living is not my own. I'm living this yielded life. But I'm not nullifying the grace of God. I'm living by faith in Jesus. And this grace is what we need to live. So the life that I'm living, I'm living this with this awareness that I'm operating in the grace of God, that I'm not operating, thank God, in my own ability to keep the law. Because if that were true, all of us would be living hopeless lives but we are walking around in the grace. The life that I live in Christ, I've been crucified. And the life that I'm living is by faith in Jesus Christ and I'm walking in the grace of God. I'm walking in the grace of God as a husband, as a dad. All of the areas, all of the things that I'm doing, I'm walking around with this awareness that my faith is in Jesus and I'm walking in the grace of God. I'm not just living my life on my own. I'm sacrificing that of my own ability and just faith in me. I'm sac that is my cross to bear and I'm following Jesus. Walking in this grace that he gives me. 
every day, all of the time. And in that realm, in that place of grace, you are your best self. Without the grace of God, me without the grace of God, it's not a good thing, right? It's not a good situation. Walking around by faith in Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says this, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, but his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So in this metaphor of this military metaphor, who enlisted us? Jesus enlisted us. We're following after him. Verse five, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The word of God. Verse six, it is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. This is the apostle Paul writing here. For which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure We also will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So what was the end of that whole thought that the apostle Paul gave? Verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. So this place of sacrifice, this place of carrying the cross where I give up being in charge of my life, I'm yielding myself to the ways of God, the thoughts of God, the plans of God. And this is how I reign in life. That I'm going through life with the favor of God, his faithfulness. This is who he is. He cannot deny himself. And when we quit and give up and we're not faithful, he's still faithful. living in him, this new life in Christ. So what is the sacrifice? What is the cross? People like you and I, yielding to the giver of life and living life in that place, in the kingdom of God, the thoughts of God, the goodness of God. The goodness of God is in the kingdom of our Father. The Father God who loves you and cares about you. But he wants our devotion. And rightfully so. We'll finish with this, Matthew 6, very famous portion of scripture. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? What's the answer to that question? Yeah. Do you know that you're really valuable to God? And this is why he wants you to submit to him willingly. It's not gonna coerce you. It's not gonna force you. But he's inviting us to have the kingdom of God as the centerpiece of our life, his heart, his desires for you. Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your lifespan? Have you ever been anxious about your future? And we felt that, but we know it doesn't change anything. It doesn't increase our life. It doesn't make us live longer. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things and your heavenly father knows what you, that you need them all. But... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This is talking about our lives now. All of the things that we need in our lives are found in God and are from God. This kingdom place this kingdom place where he's in charge and he has the center of my devotion, that he has my affection. And this is the devotion that he's calling us to, that the life we live is by faith in him. He said, oh, you have little faith. Faith is a relational word and it just means my ultimate trust I'm completely relying on God for every aspect of my life. And this is the grace that I walk in. This is the favor that we walk in. In the place of God's rule in his kingdom. And this is where he invites us all into. Listen. God is more devoted to you than your mom. And he has all that we need. And he's asking us for our devotion to him. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this call to live devoted to you, to live with the center of our heart directed toward you. 
God, we pray. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace that we can walk in in your kingdom. God, we pray that you forgive us when we put everything else in front of you. God, we want to have you the center of our heart. That you are the most valuable thing to us, that you are the pearl of great price. God, we love you and we thank you for that today. We thank you, Lord, for your grace upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Hey, if you are here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God, I'm gonna pray a prayer here in a second. And this prayer is just a starting place for you and your relationship with God. But if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you're here this morning and you feel like you used to be in a relationship with God, but you've wandered away, maybe something happened in your life and you feel like you're not close to God anymore. You know, God is not mad at you today. God invites you close to himself again. The gospel, the good news is all about Jesus, that he came and provided something for us that we could not provide for ourselves. And that's a relationship with God. As we read there, we, we can't fulfill enough laws and offer that to God and pretend that we are completely righteous because we aren't. We can't create some sort of religious process and, and then offer that to God. You know, God has come down to us in Jesus. And because of his sacrifice on the cross, he's made a way for all of us to have a relationship with God. And all we have to do is say yes to him. So if you're here and you have never done that, I'm gonna pray this prayer And again, we're not forcing you to do this. It's just something that you would do on your own or if you've wandered away from God, you pray this prayer with me as well. So church, we're gonna pray this prayer with somebody who might be praying it for the first time or rededicating their life to Christ. So let's all bow our heads and close our eyes and pray this out loud together. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and you raised him from the dead so I could know you. So I say yes to that relationship. I say yes to your righteousness. God, I call you my father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. God, I purpose to follow after your ways and I turn from my own. I thank you for salvation today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.